Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day, Lord, and I just thank you so much for allowing us to be here. Lord, I want to ask today that you would give me wisdom as I look at your word and look at the truths from your word about what happened uh, 2,000 years ago. God, I pray that you just give me wisdom as I speak this morning. In your name I pray, amen. <clears throat> well, I want to get your brains thinking the right way this morning. I don't know if I can do that. I know it's Easter. I mentioned earlier, right, everybody's thinking about eggs and bunnies and candy and good things like family, maybe honey-baked hams. I don't know. What does that have to do with Easter? I don't I have no idea. Honey-baked ham. And you guys just had donuts, so you're probably uh, starting to relax now. The sugar is settling in, and, and I, I might see a few of you getting, getting a little drowsy. Um, but I think that you all know that this is bigger than all these things I'm talking about. Isn't Easter much bigger than that? I, ho- I hope you're getting that idea that I, I feel that way already. Are you starting to get that idea? It's big. Not about eggs and bunnies. In fact, none of these religious holidays that we celebrate, Christmas, Easter, um, are about any of that stuff. In fact, a holiday is really meant to be a holy day, is it not? Not just a vacation but it's meant to be a time where we set apart to remember things that are holy. So to get you thinking the right way, I want to talk about something that may not seem related to Easter at all. It's this word right here, justice. Justice. I think one of the best things you could have in a society would be a good justice system. Would you agree with that? Wouldn't a great, perfect justice system be awesome? Um, I don't think we have one. I think... uh, it would be great to have one that was free of corruption, perfectly just. Uh, I do believe that there's a lot of good people that are trying to do good things to, to try to do that, but we also have a lot of corrupt people on this planet, do we not? But imagine a justice system where crime is punished in accordance with the heinousness of the crime. Am I crazy for thinking that'd be great? Anybody else in here would love to have that? Justice. Yes. Well, I was thinking about this the other day. I was pondering. I like to ponder from time to time. As I was thinking about this, I got to thinking about how they're in, in our system of justice, don't we have smaller, like you could almost call them justice systems? I noticed this with students, kids. There's things that they say, you can't do that to each other. It doesn't matter what. And, and so they have their own way of retribution if you break one of their rules. I think even though we say there's no honor among thieves, is there not some code amongst criminals, so to speak? And don't they enact justice if you break the code? I mean, you can't do that to me. And they enact their own justice. Well, that got me thinking about that, and I thought, you know, in in some sense, I I believe that our whole world, our whole this whole big system with all of its little subsystems of justice is all operating under one gigantic justice system. I don't know if you know this. I'm going to change this from justice to justice with a period. God is a judge. Did you know that? I think everybody does because when they want to do something bad and they don't want you to critique them, what do they usually say? Only God will judge me. That should make you afraid. Because you're right. He is a judge. He's going to serve justice. Every person who's ever lived says in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes judgment. There is going to be justice. It isn't a question mark. And the Bible describes in vivid details a judgment and a judgment seat and people before him and him determining justice. Think about this perfect justice from a perfect king, a perfect judge. A judge who knows everything, who remembers everything, was actually there for every event, that justice would be perfect. And and, and you know, the, the heinousness of a crime can sometimes be measured by who it's committed against. Have you ever thought about that? Even in our little minor justice systems, if somebody commits a crime against a child, don't we get all up in arms? 
And don't we say the punishment ought to be even worse? So the crimes against the innocent are more heinous. Also, we, we also deem crimes against, and I hate to use it this way, but the greatness of an individual or their importance tends to have a higher penalty, does it not? Now, we don't have a king here, but if you lived in a country with a king and you tried to kill the king, whether you succeeded or not, that's a big deal. It's a big deal to try to kill anybody, but you try to kill the king, big trouble. Even in America, you try to kill the president. You even look like you're trying to kill the president. It'd be big trouble. The crimes against innocence and crimes against the greatness of an individual, their importance. Consider the crimes against God himself. Purely innocent. Infinitely righteous. Absolute, infinite importance to the universe. Should not the crimes against God be the most heinous of all crimes? Does that make sense? Our betrayal of Him, our breaking of His laws, should those punishments not be infinite in nature because of His infinite goodness and greatness? This is a bit of a dilemma. Not for us, or I'm sorry, not for God, but for us. It's a bit of a dilemma. Not really for God at all, a dilemma. I'm going to describe it as a dilemma because it feels like a dilemma. Let me tell you where the dilemma comes in. Uh, If you go back to the Old Testament, there's this man named Moses, a prophet, and he's up on the mountain. He's getting God's law. And he asks God, he says, could you reveal your glory to me? And God does that. God reveals a, a glimpse of his glory to Moses. But what's important about when he reveals his glory is he makes a statement as he's revealing his glory. So God, when he reveals his glory, it says he passes by and he says something. So when Moses said, reveal your glory, this is what he says. And this is the words that he said. It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord, a God merciful, and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yea, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Dilemma. Justice. Let me just just make it real for a second. Say you're in court. A man has uh, killed your child. The judge gets up, and you've heard that this judge is merciful and kind. And the judge says, I know that what you've committed, I know you've been declared guilty, you did do this. But he, he looks at this criminal and he says, but I'm, I'm a forgiving person. And so I'm going to let you off the hook. How would you feel about that? You shoot the judge. Would you in that moment think to yourself, that's a good judge? You see the dilemma? God, if He's going to be a righteous, just God and decree and declare and carry out justice, He will by no means clear the guilty. So Remember I said it's a dilemma not for God, but for us. Are we not in a dilemma then? God is merciful and gracious and kind, but we've got a problem. He's also a righteous judge. He's got to be both. If he decides to just say, oh, it's not that bad, he stops being a good judge. Is God going to stop being a good judge? By no means. The solution, we can't come up with, but the solution, the judge has come up with a solution to this dilemma that you and I face. This is what Christmas and Easter, Good Friday, this is what the whole shebang is really all about. God's solution to humanity's problem. This is why we celebrate Christmas and Good Friday and Easter. There's real meaning here. And so to help you understand this, I'm going to shift into teacher mode. I've been on spring break. And when I come back from spring break, I'm not going to be allowed to teach because I have a student teacher and he's going to be doing all the teaching for a month. And so guess what you guys are going to get? You're going to get some instruction. 
I've got my guys. They're going to come up here. And uh, there's stacks of cards. Each person can have one stack because there's different words in the stack. And they also have pens. Okay, so there's stacks of cards they're going to hand out. And uh, I want you to get a stack. If you don't like to write and you want to share it with your spouse, that's okay. But I think we have enough for everybody to have one. And I think you should all have your own set of cards. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to waste a couple minutes of time here as they're passing those out. And uh, if anybody wants to help them, not that they're slow, that's a lot of passing of cards out. <clears throat> so I want to teach you four words. So on those four cards are four words, one word on each card. I'm going to teach you these words today. They're vocab words. There will be a quiz later. Hey, there's vocabulary math too. Here's why I'm giving you these cards and these pens. I want you to walk out of this room today knowing something really important. I want you to walk out of this room today. My goal, my whole goal is that you walk out of this room knowing these four words, what they mean, and why it matters to you. I want you to walk out of here and go, these, this is important. I want you to know, I want you to walk out of this room knowing that Christ actually accomplished something on the cross. It wasn't just an example, though it was an example, great example, the best example of sacrificial love, but that's not its primary purpose. It wasn't just a demonstration of that love. It wasn't just to demonstrate how much God loved us. It did that, yes, but that's not its primary purpose in what it accomplished. Christ's death on the cross accomplished something. Primarily, there was a legal transaction that took place, a meaningful accomplishment. When you walk out of here today, I want you to know that when Christ died on the cross, something important happened. We call this important thing, now this is not one of your uh, uh, vocab words, but we call this important thing atonement. You see this word in the Bible. Atonement. It comes from an old English word. They didn't have a word when they're translating the Bible. They had this word in the Bible, and they didn't have a good English word for it. So this one kind of came from an attempt to understand this word, at one meant. Bringing the, I mean, can you see the words, at one meant? Like they said, bringing something together, oneness. And so this word atonement came from them saying, it's at one meant, bringing something together as one. This is not one of your vocab words. The vocab words I'm going to give you are going to help you understand this word. We call Christ's sacrifice on the cross an atoning sacrifice. So I want to give you these four words and help you understand them. The first word is expiation. Do you find that card? Okay, now I'm going to tell you what to put on the back in just a minute, so don't write anything down on the back just yet. Now, if you want to scribble down, I'm going to give you some scriptures. If you want to put those references down, that, that's, that's great. Um, if you want a list of all the references I used at the end so you can just concentrate now, that's fine too. I will let you have my notes. I will print them off for you if you want. This is important. Let me just give you a couple scriptures that help explain expiation. Expiation means, now don't write this down yet. I'm going to give you a short definition. Expiation means that Jesus bore our sin. Our sin was expiated. It helps me understand expiation if I go like that at the same time. Expiate. It was, he, he, it was taken off of us and it was put on to the cloud of God's forgiveness. No. It was put on Jesus. Our sin. Consider just a few passages. Isaiah 53, 6 says, For all we like sheep have gone astray. You've heard that before. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, or the sin of us all. Isaiah talks a lot about that. There's another one, Isaiah 53, 12, just a few verses later, talks about how he bore the sin of many. So important. Jesus bore our sin. John 1.29, when John the Baptist is on this earth ministering, the first time he lays eyes on Jesus, he makes this ex- exclamation, He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus' 
role on this earth, one of the primary purposes was to bear your and my sin. Any sinners in here? If you did not raise your hand, shame on you. Because I know the truth. We're all sinners. Peter does some quoting of Isaiah and he puts it together this way. He says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. Literally, you need to understand in expiation that Jesus literally bore our sin. Have Have you ever borne the brunt of your own sin before? You did something wrong? What's that feel like? Burdensome, is it not? The guilt, the shame. So when I say Jesus bore your sin, I'm talking about that stuff too. Not just the legal guilt, but everything that goes along with it. Jesus bore your sin and my sin on the tree in his own body. Imagine the stress you'd be under bearing the sins. I mean, think when you just bear a couple of your sins, you forget about them eventually, don't you? Oh, that was a long time ago. I don't even remember that. But when you bear your own sin, what a burden it is. Jesus, in that moment on the tree, bore the sins of all on himself. Second Corinthians, Paul said this way, For our sake he made him, talking about Jesus, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Before that moment, he did not know the feeling, the reality, the guilt of being wrong or sinful. But in that moment, on that tree, he took, he became sin. Your sin, my sin, actual sins. He bore those sins. Expiation. Now, before you write this down, I want to give it, make a suggestion. You could write this down on the back. Jesus bore our sin. Before you do, I want to make a little suggestion. I thought about this this morning while we were singing. I thought, you know what? If you're here today and you are a Christian, you are a believer in Jesus, you say, I, I'm all in. I've bought into this Jesus thing. I want to suggest that you write something else on the back besides this. Instead of just saying, Jesus bore our sins, I want you to write this. Jesus bore my sin. Put down, Jesus bore our sins. This is good. Sometimes it's important Think of expiation and just think about this reality. Think about this for a moment. Our sin on him, all of it. Think about your sin. Really, think about some of your sins. Your guilts. Things you've done wrong. Each and every one of those things. I'm not going to make you learn this word, but theologians call it imputed our sin imputed onto Christ, Christ's righteousness imputed onto us. He, see, he lived a righteous life, was born, lived, died, and that righteous life, he takes his righteousness that was earned, not just because he was God, but because he did it. He takes his righteousness and he says, he comes over to you and he goes, transaction, you take my righteousness, give me all of your sin, he takes it, and on the cross, he bore it. Think about that. If you are a believer in Him, if you've put your faith in Christ, this is true for you already at the cross. You're no longer guilty of sin. Let's go back to that Hebrews 9.27. Just as appointed a man wants to die, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many. By the way, I just want to point out how often it says it doesn't say everybody, it says many. Have you, anybody else noticed that as I've been going through here? The Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly. So who's the many? Those who are eagerly waiting for him. Your sin. Once for all time. Born by Christ. There's more. The next word is propitiation. Find that card. Propitiation. 
Propitiation, now before you write down the definition on the back, I'm going to talk about it for a little bit, then I'll put a slide up to get, give you an idea of what you can write on the back. To understand propitiation, you need to understand something very important. Psalm 711 says this, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation, anger, every day. Don't think of this as a temper tantrum. Consider how you feel when someone steals something from you. Did it just kick you off? I, I'll start with small examples. I can remember when we lived in South Carolina, we had this grill, and I didn't have a lot of money, but I was so happy I had this grill. I love cooking on the grill. I came home one day. Actually, no, it didn't even have the... I, we had come home, we bought some beef, we made the patties. I walked outside with the patties on a plate, my spatula, and I walked over, literally walked to where the grill was normally sitting and went, where's my grill? I stole my grill. I was, I, I'm going to be honest, I was pretty burned up. Because you start thinking, my stuff. I worked for that thing. It was mine. Somebody just thought that they could come along and grab it. it I think to some degree, there, there's some measure of righteous anger in those types of things. What about betrayal? You ever been betrayed by somebody? There's a measure of righteous anger. When, when you are the one that's been betrayed, there's a measure of that anger that's right there. Even if you don't respond sinfully, which you should not respond sinfully, but in that moment, there's a measure of righteous indignation because you have been sinned against, you yourself. Are these angers with great betrayals like adultery? Is a spouse wrong to feel angry at the betrayal? Absolutely not. Consider the judge of all the earth for a moment. Not only have, is he the judge, he's also the one who is the law maker. He's your maker. Not only have we committed crimes, we committed crimes against the judge. Our following after other things is considered in the Bible to be spiritual adultery. I mean, think about it. God created you, and he says, I, I want you to seek after the greatest thing, which is God himself. And what do we do? We spend all of our time looking after every other thing on this planet to try to fulfill ourselves and find happiness in. When God is saying, I'm offering myself. God, the greatest of all things. We say, you're pretty nice, but man, I really want some more money. I really want some more stuff. I really want to have the just the right this or just the right that. The Bible calls that spiritual adultery. See, we have an issue. Propitiation means that not only did Jesus bear the guilt of the sin, He also bore God's wrath, His righteous wrath. Not the temper, not some temper tantrum that God was throwing because we didn't do what He wanted, but righteously angry with His people that He created who have chosen to follow every other thing under the sun except for Him. God is righteously angry. Romans 5.9 says this, since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. How about this in Hebrews 2.17? Therefore He had to be made like His brothers in every respect, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. And here it is, and you thought I was making this word up. Uh, make propitiation for the sins of the people. First John 14, and this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, what does it mean? Not only did Jesus bear our sin, He also bore God's wrath. Now remember, if you're a believer, if you're sitting here today and you're going, I'm, I, I'm all in on this. You can write as fact, accomplished on the cross, Jesus bore God's wrath for me. 
Think about that. I get excited about this one. Do you realize that that means God is never angry with you because of your sin? This will blow your mind. Do you realize that all of God's wrath for your wrongdoing was taken and placed on Christ? And when Christ was on the cross, one of the things he cried out was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the cry of one who is damned by God. It's the cry that all of us could say. And he was able to cry it out for us. He bore God's wrath. So that you will never have to say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he bore God's Expiation. Jesus bore all of your sin. Propitiation. He bore all of God's wrath. All of it poured out on Christ. And since we are righteous in God's sight, we've been expiated. And God is no longer angry with us because of propitiation. We are now reconciled. Reconciliation is our next word. I should have been making you say these with me. Okay, class, say reconciliation. That's pretty good. Because of expiation and propitiation, you are no longer God's enemy. Now, I'll give you a definition to put on the back in just a moment. But reconciliation, you're not, you're not his enemy anymore. He's not against you if you are sitting here today and you are a believer in him. Romans 5, 10, and 11 says, For if while we were enemies, see, because you were once opposed to God. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. There it is, reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You were his enemy. Now you're not. Reconciliation. Put it this way, we are no longer God's enemies. If you want, though, if you're sitting here today and you're like, I'm all in. In fact, this is sounding better and better the longer you go, Matt. If I wasn't in before I walked in here, I want to be all in now. I'm buying into this. You may be thinking, that's a weird way to put it, Matt, but I'm telling you, that's what, that's what it means to believe something, doesn't it? I'm all in. All my eggs in this basket. All my Easter eggs in this basket. Right? Like a little kid has found all, we got all those eggs out there, right? A little kid has found all those eggs, and they're like, I'm putting them all in this basket right here. That's what you are as a Christian. You're saying, I'm everything. Everything is about this now. And so if you're sitting here today and you go, man, I'm, I am all in. Put down, I am no longer God's enemy. Think about that as you go through life, regardless of what happens. God is never, for those who have faith, God is never out to get you. Ever. You're not His enemy anymore. You're on His side. He's for you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? See, when you're all in with this and this, 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 you put your faith in Christ and all of your sin has been taken away. You're no, you're no longer guilty in His sight. You never have to go, oh man, God's probably looking down at me. And then that anger aspect comes in. You go, man, He's probably really mad at me. See, that's all over with. And in fact, you can go a step further and say, now I'm on His team. And He's for me. And then everything that happens in life, because if you start buying into this, then suddenly everything that happens in life, you go, instead of going, man, this is horrible, you go, man, God's doing something good. I'm on his team. I'm on his team. And so this must be good. Because God is good. You don't have to walk through life going, and trying to figure. You're on his team. You're not his enemy. Because I know some of you think that. Sometimes you're going through life and and something happens. You you know how you picture God? You picture God up there going, gotcha. That's not God. He's not your enemy. 
Denise is going to be laughing about that for a long time. That's the laugh I do when I give a lot of homework. But what? You're not his enemy. He's not out to get you. You never have to go through life and go, man, God, what, what am I doing? That I did? What? No. God's up there going, I'm on your side. I'm working this out for your good and my glory. Relax. I'm on the same team. This last one, this last one might seem like a step down in greatness of its impact, but I want to tell you right now it's a step up from how great even that is, the fact that we're no longer his enemies. Take another step up. In the Old Testament, and you already know the word redemption, in the Old Testament, if someone owed money to somebody else, they, and they couldn't pay it off, and there was interest being accrued, Sometimes what they would do is they'd take that person and they would put them into what was known as debtor's prison. Now, let's be honest. You think they're making a whole lot of dough in debtor's prison? That's like a a black hole of life, wouldn't it be? You owe me this much money, now I'm going to put you in prison until you pay me back. How am I going to pay you back? I mean, it sounds crazy to me, to be honest. That's what they did. And people that went in there, they, they weren't making their way back out, paying off those debts. But there was an option for what the Old Testament calls a kinsman redeemer. Redeemer. It was a relative that would come in and say, you know what, I've got the funds. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay this price to set you free. Now, think about this person that's now been set free. They've been what we call redeemed. That's where the word comes from. That's what it means. There's redemption. They're now free. Did they pay their debt? No. My kinsman did. My, my, my relative did. Would there be a debt to this relative? Yes and no. This relative in paying the debt is not saying, now you owe me. What the debt relative is doing is saying, now it's taken care of. But is there not what we would call a debt of gratitude? That's what Scripture talks about when it, when it talks about this relationship that we now, because Christ, in paying the penalty for our sin, this debt that we owe to God because of his, his, and his wrath is now upon us, when He reconciles us, He also redeems us. He pays a price. Mark 10.45, Jesus Himself says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom, there it is, for many. Or Hebrews 9.12, which says, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood and goats, or blood, the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. There was a price that had to be paid to set you free. The judge may no longer be holding you guilty. The judge may no longer be in wrath against you, but you are still in debt to God. And Jesus paid that debt. That's why Paul in Corinthians says, for you were bought with a price. The precious blood of Christ. You were bought with a price. Think about this for a minute. It isn't just that you're no longer an enemy of God's and that you're now on His team, but you, He thinks of you as His. When He's looking down, not only is He not going, I'm not going to squish you, He's also going, you're mine. You are mine. You belong to me and I paid a big price to get you. You're mine. You're valuable to God not because, and I don't want to burst all of your self-esteem bubbles, but I'm going to anyway. Not because you have some special intrinsic worth buried deep down inside. You might be a really nice person. 
But I'm telling you what right now, you're special to God not because of you, but because of what He paid to get you. Which is great because, because then when you're, when you're being a horrible person, because that happens sometimes, it, the, the value in God's sight doesn't diminish because you're not valuable to Him because of how great you're being. You're valuable to Him. Why? Because of the price that He paid. And that doesn't change. It was, the transaction happened 2,000 years ago. He died on the cross and He paid the debt at that moment, once for all. So that when He shouted at the end, it is finished, that might hold bigger meaning for you now. He wasn't just saying, I'm breathing my last breath, so I'm, I'm going to die now. And he's saying, he's saying, it is finished. And so when those words happened, there's a bunch of stuff that happened. What was it? We talked about this the other day. In my favorite one in the temple, there was a veil separating the holiest place. There was a holy place out here. And there was this inner sanctum where only the high priest could go. And when Jesus shouted, it is finished, and breathed his last breath, that veil, which was Thick. It's you know, woven material was thick. It ripped from top to bottom, signifying expiation, propitiation, reconciliation, and redemption. He said, "It is finished. The transaction has now happened." Romans 3, oh wait, I need to give you your definition, I'm sorry. Now, before you write that, a couple different ways you could put this. I want to make a suggestion for those of you that are believers. Those of you in this room that say, I'm, I'm, if I wasn't before, this is too good to pass up. I wasn't before I walked in this room. I am all in now. God, please let me be all in now. Instead of putting down, we have been purchased. I, I want to suggest you could just put down, I am His. I am His. I'm His. You might put it underneath of it, bought with a price. I'm His, bought with a price. I want to share uh, one more passage of Scripture for you, then I'm going to give you some closing thoughts for as you go through this week. Romans 3, I'm going to read 21 through 26. I want you to listen for all of these, uh, you listen for your four vocabulary words coming into play in this passage. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. In other words, God's righteousness accomplished not because you did all the law. Right? That's usually how we think about how you get to be a good person, be righteous, you have to do all the things the law says. But there's another righteousness that comes apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Righteousness, there's your expiation, or your sin, born on Christ, His righteousness you get to have, you are now righteous before God, declared righteous legally for all who believe. There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace. I wasn't going to teach you the word justification, but that's another legal term, by the way. That's, that's, justification is when the judge hits the gavel down and he says, Righteous! makes a judgment. That's what the word justification means, by the way. Justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. So if you're sitting here listening to these expiation and propitiation, you're going, I want to be in on that. It's to be received by faith. You just go, I'm going to believe this is true. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He... And here's... You remember back at the beginning with Moses? Justice and mercy. In Jesus, listen to this, so that He, 
being God the Father, might be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. He won't clear the guilty, but what he can do is he can declare righteous. The sin is now taken care of in Christ. The wrath is now taken care of in Christ. You've been reconciled and redeemed. Now, I want you to grab your four cards. Got your four cards with you? I think that you're going to find... Hold up the expiation one. Just, just pick that one up for a second. I think you're going to find it when you start well, believing this, and really believing it, when you start believing what Christ has done for you in expiation, you will find that you will begin to make every effort to stop sinning. That's, that's, that's where people get confused. Some people think, oh, to be a Christian, you've got to stop sinning. No, 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 it's backwards. Christians seek to stop sinning. Why? Because, think about it. Next time you sin, I hope you do. Next time you d- declare yourself free from what God wants, and I'm going to do what I want, I hope you think about this fact that every sin, and I'm going to tell you right now, this is where my mind does not comprehend how God did this. But somehow, God, in time, when you sin, that sin has already been taken care of. If you're a believer, way back 2,000 years ago, when Christ said it is finished, he's already taken care of that sin. I don't know if he's got a time machine. Okay, I don't want to make it silly. I don't know how he does it. But understand that that transaction was made 2,000 years ago. But see, me today, as I'm living in this, as I, as I continue to live life, and, and when I say if I continue to struggle, suddenly that struggle with sin, you know what I'm thinking about? Christ bore my sin. Why would I want to, in some sense, add to his burden? Now, it's already all taken care of in him. But that's how I think about it when I think about expiation now. If, God, if he bore my sin, why would I? I mean, in fact, you would look at somebody that says, hey, I'm going to take care of your bill. I mean, I mean, just think about it. If you went to a restaurant and somebody sat down and you're sitting there, you go, I'm going to take care of this for you, right? And they went, oh, in that case, I'm going to get the lobster and I'm going to get the... You'd be like, jerk. Isn't that exactly why? But that's exactly why a Christian seeks to stop sinning. Not because they're trying to earn something. Not to try to relieve themselves. And here's the key. Not to try to relieve themselves of guilt. No, it's not about relieving yourself of guilt. You, you know you're no longer guilty in God's eyes. So it's, it's not no longer about that. Suddenly you're just in gratitude that Christ took all of your guilt. You go, why would I continue to sin if Christ has taken care of all of my guilt? That's how you can tell who believes. If somebody that's really bought into this, and they do have all their Easter eggs in one Easter egg basket with Jesus, they don't flippantly continue on in their life doing whatever they want. Because they know the cost. They believe it to be true. Expiation. Propitiation. You will find, if you're all in, and you're buying into this Jesus thing, not only will you make every effort to stop sinning, you're going to start finding that you're going to be making every effort to just do things that are good, but the, the, the reason will have changed. Some of you, I know you do it, don't lie. Sometimes you do good stuff because you're trying, but somewhere down, you, you're trying to make God happy. So you've, you've got this little economy you've figured out. There's, so you think of something you want. I really want that. New job. Bigger paycheck. Healthy kids. Obedient kids. Whatever it is. is he, see, I know God can give that to me. And so then like he's some big old grandpa, try to butter him up. Try to make them happy. But if you understand propitiation, you will know that God is already completely, infinitely happy in you and with you, not because of you, because of Jesus. And so that way of operating, number one, it doesn't work, and you probably figured that out by now. That doesn't work anyway. You guys figured that out? Have you figured that out, that it doesn't really work? How many of you tried to do that, and it doesn't work, does it? You try to make God happy, so He give you what you want, and then He doesn't give you what you want, and then you get mad at God. It's because you're, you're, you're not operating in the right system. 
He's already happy with you. That's not what it's about. You instead ought to be sitting here going, God, give me what you want. Because if you know he's ultimately happy in you because of Christ, then you can rest and relax and trust that whatever he's sending your way is good. And so then you seek to be good in return, not because you're trying to get more better stuff, because you're just thankful, grateful. God is so good. People will think you're nuts because then bad things, what they call bad things will happen, and you'll be sitting there going, man, God is good. Man, you're crazy. No, I'm not. Propitiation. They go, you are crazy. But you'll know, right? You'll know. God is infinitely happy with me. He has no, he doesn't have one drop left of anger at my bad behavior. It's, it's all gone. And wake up tomorrow. God is happy. I didn't do anything to get it. Jesus did it all. He did every little bit. You'll find as well, hold up reconciliation. You'll find up, you'll find as well that not only are you going to be making every effort to cease sinning and to, to live and do just good things because you're trying to, you know, be good. I mean, God is so good to you. And, and people that really get goodness, they, that's what they do. They, they pay it forward. We call it that, right? But I mean, that's really kind of what happens. We're saying, He's been so good to me. You just want to be good to others. And so you start, finally start doing this. And you'll find that there's this ministry, and I don't have a slide for this, but in 2 Corinthians 5, it talks about it and calls it the ministry of reconciliation. Because you'll suddenly find, you'll see people in this world, and you'll see miserable people and sad people. Or maybe you'll see people that seem really happy, but you're sitting there going, what you're going after is completely pointless. It won't last. You're going to die. We all do. And you can get everything you want and miss out on something even better. And so Paul calls it the ministry of reconciliation because then suddenly you're going, I want everybody else to be in on this. It's not like there's a limit. There's no limit. Anybody could be in on this. And so you start thinking that way. And you'll find that if you really buy into this and all of your eggs are in this Jesus basket, you're going to find that you're going to start going through life and seeing people that are miserable or seemingly happy and you'll be going, and they're missing out on something even better. How can I... And you just start scratching your head trying to figure out ways to tell them about it because you know they've probably heard some of this stuff before, but you know they're not getting it. Do you understand expiation and propitiation? And they'll be going, what are you talking about? And you go, okay, forget the words for a minute. Do you know? Maybe you'll eventually get to the place and you'll see some friends and they'll be sitting there going, man, I was... I don't know why God... Is, he's out to get me. And go like... <laughs> I know. If you put your faith in Him, you will no longer be His enemy. You can't earn that. You can't earn it. You just got to trust in Him. Finally, you'll begin to find that you're making every effort because of redemption. That last card. To be filled with joy. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we hear children in the hall being filled with joy right now. You hear them out there? And why are they filled with joy? Candy. Right? You know why I'm filled with joy? Because none of those little ones are coming home with me. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to stock them up. Say, go home to mommy. <laughs> You're welcome. But in a real sense, that joy, why, why are they joyful? Do, do, did, do you think my wife had to say, okay, guys, get joyful? She's probably not as joyful as they are right now, by the way. Uh, do, do you think that she had to tell them, okay, we're going to go get candy and, and you guys need to be happy about it? You think she had to tell them that? Why? Because they get it. They understand it. They comprehend it. If you comprehend these things, you'll find that you, the, the joy, it, it's not, it, the, the choice part of joy tends to diminish. And it begins to be more natural because you're you're thinking about all the great things that you have now in Christ. You find yourself going through life, and and no matter what's going on, you you just find there's even in the middle of sorrow, there's this joy that's just like bubbling underneath the surface. Some of you know right exactly what that's like. That joy that's bubbling. 
There's sorrow, but there's joy there too. Because you know that at the end of the day, or maybe I should say at the end of time, at that righteous judgment, God will say, you're already mine. Come on in. Enter into your rest. Experience the fullness of my perfect justice now being worked out. And you will in that day, with ultimate gratitude, go, I know I didn't deserve one ounce of this grace. You're just so good. I'm going to pray. As you leave, maybe go out and watch those kids gather those eggs filled with joy. Think about, this is going to be hard for some of you, think about how infinitely small the greatness of candy is. Then you're going, it's still pretty good. You're right. Think about how infinitely small it is compared to what we've just talked about. I hope that as you leave today, you believe this. I hope that as you leave today, if you were sitting here and you're going, I don't think I believed this before. I kind of did, but now I do. I'd love you to just tell me. I'd love to know. Because one of the jobs that a pastor does, you know what a pastor does? A pastor just keeps pointing you back to this. I'm like a beggar showing other beggars where there's free bread. Amen? So I'm going to pray that as you leave today, if it, wherever you're at, I'm praying that everybody that walks out of this room, you say, I believe it. I believe it. I'm all in. All my Easter eggs are in the Jesus basket from this point forward. And then you can live those things out. And so when you get up on Monday and you're feeling like, man, God is just out to get me, you can pick up the right card to help yourself think through the problem. Wait, that's not true. God isn't out to get me. He's not my enemy. I'm not his enemy. You're feeling guilty for what you've done. Guilt's been removed. It's in Christ. I think God's mad at me. No, he's not. I better let you guys go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I do just thank you. Lord, I thank you for expiation, for propitiation, for reconciliation, Lord, for redemption. Lord, I can't add anything to that. Lord, I just want to thank you. Lord, I know that there are others in this room today that they, thank you. Thank you, God, for the great price that you paid on the cross. This amazing transaction that my mind, I can't even wrap it around how great it is. But I thank you for it. Pray that everyone in this room will walk out of here today knowing and understanding these truths. Lord, I pray that everyone will believe, just believe. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.